Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Well, um, first, I just wanted to uh, thank Johnny and Brianna Reeves for being here this morning, uh, for leading us in worship. Ryan uh, and Lauren and the kids are traveling for the next two Sundays, and so we are always incredibly blessed uh, to have Johnny and Brianna here. Uh, and also, Brianna's mother, Beth, is here. We're so excited to have her. And then their daughter, Johnny and Brianna's daughter, uh, Marlo, is here. So uh, welcome to them. Uh, and then I'm also excited today because we get to hear from our own Eric Mingle. Eric is going to be preaching this morning for the first time at Apostles. And so we are thrilled to welcome him and encourage him as he brings God's word to us. Uh, and I want to take this as an opportunity just to remind you that he will be ordained uh, in about two weeks, so November 4th, Friday night up at Hope Point. I encourage you to put it on the calendar, be there 7 p.m. that Friday night. We want to come alongside him and encourage him and celebrate with him. But Eric, uh, would you come and bring God's word for us this morning, brother? Thank you. Well, good morning again. Um, like David said, my name is Eric Mingle, and uh, I'm, on, I'm on staff here at Apostles Houston. I oversee the life group ministry, and it's just been a real honor to, to both work here and to worship here um, with all of you. So, um, yes, I'll be preaching today. I'll actually be preaching for the first time in three years. So, uh, if it's not good, come back next week. David will be back up. <laughs> um, what we're going to be doing, uh, first of all, if you're, if you're new here, we're, we're very honored that you've chosen to worship with us today. What we've been doing this fall is actually working through the book of Psalms. We've got a sermon series right here, Christ in the Psalms. And what we've been doing is believing um, Christ in his own words uh, from Luke 24, that all of Scripture, from Moses to the prophets to the Psalms, are, are really all about him. Uh, another way of saying that is we're believing that the word of God is a witness to the word that is God. Uh, the Word of God, which is Scripture, is a witness to the Word that is God, that is Jesus. And so as Christians called out of the world to worship God every week, really every day, to worship God through Christ by the Spirit, that's what we've gathered here to do this morning as we study Psalm 103. So uh, incidentally, Psalm 103 just ha happens to be all about worship. In fact, if you'll read along with me in Psalm 103, um, we'll read the first five verses again in the last three. Um, we'll see that this psalm actually begins and ends with a call to worship. David says, <clears throat> Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And looking further on to verse 20, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So very clearly, Psalm 103, it's, it's a call to worship. Uh, I know that 
Sometimes this language of blessed can be confusing because the rest of the time in scriptures, it's actually God who's blessing us, and, and here we're being called to bless God. But in, in the prayer book and in many of your other translations, the word is actually praise. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And the first and last lines of this psalm are about worship. It begins with the psalmist's call to his own soul to worship God, and then concludes with a call for all of worship to join, for all of creation to join alongside him in the worship of God. Um, but before we dive into the psalm, I'm going to make a small confession, um, one that I hope doesn't put my ordination in jeopardy in just a couple of weeks. Uh, growing up, uh, not in a religious family, but growing up in, a, in East Texas, so growing up in a religious culture, um, and, and around the church, I'd always been told that, uh, you know, there's a question, what, what's, what are we going to do when we get to heaven? Uh, and the answer I always got, and I'm sure you've heard it before, we're just going to worship God all day, every day, for eternity. And um, my confession is that I, I thought that sounded pretty terrible. <laughs> like, I, I, I've got a terrible voice. I don't, I don't, don't enjoy singing. Uh, I'm pretty tone deaf. Uh, the idea of just singing songs to God for all eternity doesn't sound all that good. The alternative doesn't sound any better, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I was really kind of uh, bummed out about that, not sure what to make of it. Um, don't get me wrong. I, I actually love, I mean, I love God. I love studying scripture. I love reading. I love serving God. I, I love uh, going on mission and mission trips, but I never really enjoyed going to church for worship. I mean, outside of seeing my friends. In fact, I always did it more out of a sense of duty rather than delight. Uh, even my mom one time asked me, why do you go? Uh, my, my family, they're, they're not religious. They didn't go, but they would take me. They respected that, that hunger that I had. They would drop me off every week from eight years old on and, and really, after I got saved when I was 12, I kept going, but I just fell asleep most Sundays. In fact, I would develop ways to stay awake. Um, I would sit there with the Baptist hymnal over my knees, and whenever I would doze off, I would drop the hymn book. It would hit my feet, and I would wake back up. And I, I mean, that, that's how bored I was in church every Sunday. And so when my mom says, why do you always go? I just told her, honestly, I don't know. Um, I really just had a sense of belonging. I feel like I, I needed to be there, but I just didn't know why. And that's because I didn't know what worship was all about, and I did not know why it was so important. Now, thankfully, <laughs> uh, ordination, uh, I, I've had a change of heart. <laughs> uh, I've come around on, on, on worship. I, I actually think it's really incredible. I'm, I'm glad we're here together today to worship. Um, and that's, but that's come through, really it's come through an experience of worship, but also an experience with God through his word, which is what we're going to look more at this morning. But... The reason why I tell you this story is because I don't think I'm alone with some of those presuppositions or attitudes or feelings towards worship. And so what I want to focus on this morning is just this idea of worship. There's a lot of things we could look at with Psalm 103. Um, there's a pl plenty going on there. I mean, obviously, the most the, the, what it's driving at is worship, but there's, there's plenty of things we could talk about. But because worship can be such, the, such an, an ambiguous and... and conflicting experience for a lot of us. I want to focus on, uh, on worship asking four questions. What it is, uh, why is it important, how we should worship as prescribed by this psalm, and the most importantly, to whom should we be directing our worship? Amen? All right, well, let's dive in. Uh, first, first question, what is worship? Uh, and although this is a study of Psalm 103, um, one of the most amazing uh, pictures of worship in the Bible actually comes from Revelation chapter 4. Um, and I'm not going to reread the whole thing. I'm just going to reread those first six verses 
Uh, and then we're going to dive in. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an, of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, and rumblings, and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Okay. Pretty strange, <laughs> right? Um, but not boring, right? Like pretty strange, but probably not a place you're going to fall asleep, right? Uh, flashes of lightning, r- rumbling thunder, and, and then a bunch of really weird-looking creatures. Uh, probably not a place you're going to fall asleep, but, 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 but still a pretty strange place. Um, I want to help us try to imagine what it's like, what's happening here in the worship that's happening in heaven Um, The first thing I think we should notice is this, is that worship is not just happening here at 1111 West 14th Street. And I don't mean it's it's also happening down the street, uh, because it is. It's happening uh, all over the place. It was happening on the island of Patmos, where John was having this revelation and writing his letter. Um, but, But what John's trying to help us see here is that it's also happening in heaven right now as we speak. Uh, John opens this letter actually in chapter 1 by saying that he was on the island of Patmos as an exile, but he was also in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. He was on an island in Patmos, but he was also in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. In other words, John was in two places at one time. Growing up, you you see all those Marvel superhero movies, and you're thinking about what kind of power you want. I want this power. I want to be in two places at one time, right? Right? Um, he did not leave the island to participate in the divine liturgy. He was actually there because he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And this vision that he has shared with us gives us a front row seat of that worship. Revelation 4 is a window into heaven pulling back of the veil on the worship that is happening right now in the presence of God. And although we can't see it, we see each other. Uh, the claim that John is making is that when we gather on Sunday mornings in the Spirit for worship, even here at Apostles, we are actually hitching a ride with John into the divine throne room to worship in the presence of God. And that's, that's what worship is. That's what worship is all about. It's an encounter with God in his presence. So, so the second thing we should notice from, from this passage is this, is that worship is also, because it's in the presence of God, it's actually all about God. Uh, if you read down further in Revelation 4, you'll notice that this is what everyone is confessing the whole time. Uh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and power and honor, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Worship is all about God. Now, that should be obvious, but let's be honest, it's not. It's actually really easy to make worship more about us 
than actually about God. It's really easy to seek out worship where the content of preaching comes from the headlines with a little Jesus sprinkled in rather than the scriptures which are all about him. And we have to resist this urge. We have to resist being drawn to the worship where all that's happening in the preaching of the headlines is that we're having our own anxieties reflected back to us. John, he's, he's, he, he's not living his best life, okay? Oh, man, I wasn't trying to do that. Uh, he, he, was, he was in exile, right? He was, he was, Patmos was an island for exiles in the Roman Empire. He was, he was in the middle of a storm, and what happened when he got called up into this divine liturgy was he was brought into the eye of the storm where he was able to behold the glory of God, a God who is seated, not standing, not wringing his wrists, fretting, what am I going to do about what's going on in the Roman Empire, but seated on the throne. There's no greater picture of power than a king who is seated, and that's what he gets. And so what's happening in that worship, what's happening when we come to worship, we're actually coming out of the storm into the eye of the storm, not to have our anxieties reflected back to us, but to have our eyes fixed upon the glory and power and sovereignty of God, who, by the way, in Revelation 5, has all of our prayers coming up to him. He's not, he's not distant and, and ignorant or, or, or apathetic towards what's happening. He's actually enthroned. He's hearing and receiving our prayers. But from his seated throne, he is orchestrating history to its divine end. That is what worship is all about. Here's why it matters. Because what we worship, we become. Uh, if we give glory and honor and power over our lives to God, uh, he will reform and restore our lives till they become like his. Let me say that again. If we give glory, honor, and power over our lives to God, he will reform and restore our lives till they look like his. But if we worship anything else, if we give power to anything else, we will likely become something that we regret. Ironically, it was actually a secular author who made this point better than anyone. Uh, David Foster Wallace, who actually happened to be an atheist, who had these words to say about worship. He said this, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. This is an atheist <laughs> having this profound observation. Um, he says that if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. If you worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, then you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. If you worship power, you end up feeling weak and afraid. And you would need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. If you worship your intellect, being seen as smart, then you end up feeling stupid, a fraud, and always on the verge of being found out. Everybody worships. The question is, what are we worshiping? Because what we worship shapes us into the kind of people we become. You don't like who you've become? You don't like who you're becoming? Well, then what are you worshiping? What have you given power over to? What have you given power over your life to 
that has reshaped your imagination and told you who and what you should be. Do you want to become a person of love? Do you want to be a person who is filled with the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you want to be the kind of person that when you get bumped into or, or, or something comes out sideways, it's that? Well, then what John is saying is that we're going to have to hitch a ride with him and worship the God whose very nature is love. Not just sometimes, but all the time, often, in the Spirit, on the Lord's Day. It's actually why we worship weekly. It's not so that we can score points with God for coming to church. It's so that we don't miss out on the opportunity of becoming like him. What you worship, you become like. Okay, third question, how then should we worship? We're going to jump back into the psalm. Uh, let's read again from the first couple of, couple of verses. How should we worship? Uh, David says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Okay, so there are two ways that we are encouraged to worship the Lord here. One is with all that is within us, and the second is in memory of all that he has done for us. With all that is within us, and in memory of all that he has done for us. What, what does that mean? Well, the, the first one sounds pretty obvious. I, I think it is. With, with all, you know, in other words, not holding 2% behind your back, but we're worshiping God with all that we are. Um, I, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. There are some in this room. I'm terrified of, their, uh, of, uh, of what they're thinking right now. But this is a moment where I think the, the language really, the language itself preaches uh, even more than the translation. Uh, this word within, all that is within, is literally the word for, for entrails, <laughs> which is pretty gross, you know. <laughs> but really, it's all, all your, basically everything that is, you we're talking about vital organs, right? So all that is within is worshiping God with all that is vital in our lives. And uh, this particular verse, it corresponds to the previous one, which has the word soul. Um, and again, to nerd out, the etymology of this word soul actually comes from the same word for throat, which again is another vital organ that you need for eating, drinking, speaking, and breathing. So essentially what the psalmist is doing is he's calling us to worship God with everything that is vital in our lives as if our lives depended on it. You hear that? He's calling us to worship God with all of our lives as if our lives depend on it, which sounds pretty extreme, right? Like what if I said, hey, why do you need to be back in church next Sunday? Because your life depends on it. You'd say, okay, I think you're, I think you're taking yourself a little too seriously. Um, but I'm not. I'm not preaching. So uh, no, uh, here's why, though. We, we, our lives do depend on it, and we know, we know that now because what we worship, we become. Often. Okay, all that is within us. So how should we worship God with all that is vital in our life? And two, in memory of all that he has done for us. Uh, look at verses three through five here. He says this, He who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Man, I love this. I love this psalm. I love those first five verses because it really gives this beautiful description uh, of what salvation is all about. Um, but more than that, what I, what I really love is that it, it says that salvation is about more than just forgiveness. Most of us, we've grown up in tradition, that's where we've heard, and, that, and that's true. I mean, salvation is not less than being forgiven, but thank God it's about so much more. 
It's about being healed and delivered and crowned and made alive. In a word, salvation is about being transformed, which is something that began when we first believed, when we were justified, but it's something that continues to happen all through our life as we worship God. But what, I, what we need to notice here, though, is that this is not where the psalmist stops. Uh, he goes on to speak not merely about God's benefits, but also about God's character. Because the whole point of remembering what he has done for us is to remember who he is. Look at verse 13 real quick. Basically, everything that comes after these first five verses is, a, is just a, a, a development of all these benefits, in particular for the Jewish people. But verse 13 reveals who this God is who has given us all these benefits. He's a father who shows compassion to his children. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. What do all his benefits reveal about who God is? That he's a father. That he's a father who loves us like a mother and remembers the dust that we're made from. I know that mother piece sounds weird. <laughs> but do you remember the story from 1 Kings 3 where two women come to Solomon claiming that a certain child is theirs? You remember the story? And for all of Solomon's wisdom, he can't discern who's telling the truth. So what does he do? Like a good accountant, he just offers to split the child right down the middle in two, right? And what does the true mother say? I'd rather die. Give the baby to her. And in that moment, Solomon knew who the true mother was. Once again, this is a moment in which, where the language really preaches. The word used to describe that kind of love is the word that is translated mercy, or sometimes compassion. And ironically, it's the same word that we get the word for womb. So in Hebrew, there's a word, there's really a family of words, but there are different vowel points here, but one word is often translated mercy, and the other word is translated womb. They come from the same word. And what is effectively is happening here is that God is revealing that mercy is the caliber of love that a mother has for the baby in her womb. Mercy is the caliber of love that a mother, ha- that a mother has for the baby in her womb. A love that says, we're in this together. And if you don't make it, I don't either. I'd rather die than live without you. That's what mercy is. That's what mercy means. And here's the best part. It's the word used three times in this psalm to describe God's love for us. God loves you like a mother, loves the baby in her womb, and he'd rather die than live without you. Why does that matter? Because that's what because that's the God we come to encounter in worship every week. And more importantly, that's what keeps us coming back. It's not just the hand of God, but it's the heart of God that draws us to him. And this is important because if you worship a God, if you worship God because of his hand, uh, only his hand, only for his benefits, then you'll have fellowship with him, but but it will always be dependent on your circumstances on whether or not you can see his hand at work in your life. But if you worship God because of his heart, because of who he is, because he's a father who loves you like a mother, then you'll have fellowship with him through your circumstances. You'll know his peace that surpasses understanding, 
And he'll even find a way to use your circumstances to make you more like him. Final question. And with this, we'll close. Who is this? To whom should we be directing our worship? This is probably the easiest question of all. It's kind of in the name of the series. Who is it that forgives our sins and heals our souls? It's Jesus. Who is it that delivers us from death and crowns us with the love of the Father? It's Jesus. Who satisfies our deepest longings and secures for us eternal life? It's Jesus. In fact, this, this, this psalm may be the most evangelical psalm in the entire Psalter. Uh, look one last time at verses 8, eight through 12. Um, if, you're a big, if you've been studying uh, Exodus in your life groups, you're, you're, you'll be familiar with this. The psalmist here is, is pulling a quote straight from Exodus 34. Okay, so he's lifting a quote straight from Exodus 34 after God forgives the Israelites for worshiping the golden calf. This is what he says. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. This question about God of the Old Testament and God of the New Testament, <laughs> settled in Psalm 103. <laughs> okay, maybe not settled. There's, there's plenty to unpack there, but there's plenty in Psalm 103. There's plenty in the Old Testament to reveal to us the heart of God. But I have to, I have to bring your attention to something. There's actually something missing from this quote. The psalmist has actually left something out of Exodus 34 where he lifts this quote almost verbatim. And it's this, it's a promise from God. It's a promise from God to be just. It's a promise from God not to clear the guilty. And Exodus 34 is a promise from God not to clear the guilty, even allowing our children's children to suffer the consequences for our sins. Now that's got to give you a pause. Did the psalmist forget the line? <laughs> Not likely. Do you think he's misquoting scripture? Not likely. Or was the psalmist carried along by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, looking forward to the day when he who knew no sin would become sin so that we could become the righteousness of God? to a day when he would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, to a day when he would taste death so that we could know eternal life. Friends, we've gathered here today because that's exactly what we believe has happened. Our sin had separated us from God, and there was nothing that we could do about it. But because he's a father who loves us like a mother, he sent his one and only son to bear our sins in his body and to heal us by his wounds. He came down from heaven to be, to be where we are so that in him we could ascend to be where the Father is. Not just when we die, but every time we gather in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And as we do, as we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ, through the opening of scriptures and the breaking of bread, it's him whom we become like. It's his image that we are conformed to.
so that we may join with all the saints in saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, we love you, and we are eternally grateful for all your benefits that you have secured for us through Christ Jesus our Lord. And, Lord, we bless you, not just because of what you've done, but because of who you are, a father who has loved us like a mother. We pray that you would continue to draw us into your presence through the Spirit, that we may gaze upon your beauty, bearing fruit to your glory, our joy, and the life of the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.